Welcome to episode 166. I'm Stuart McCullough, I'm the CEO of VHAA, and joining me for this week's discussion is Senior Workplace Relations Consultant, Emma Scott. Welcome, Emma. Thanks, Stuart. Emma, we're still in lockdown edition and we have had to improvise once more, but this week I've decided to take a far more incremental approach and there are in fact three clues uh, that will form the basis for today's discussion. And each one gets progressively, I guess, easier. So let's start with clue number one. So Emma, on the basis of that, of that clue, would you like to venture a guess? Well, it says me, myself and I. It's a bit contrary to, you know, what's in there because there's more people, but could it be soul allowance? Incorrect. Let's move on to clue number two. Okay. One of my favourite bands of all time, you or my. Emma, on the basis of that clue, would you like to venture a guess? I feel like you said they're meant to be easier, but I feel like that one's a bit more um, obscure. But I was thinking maybe those letters seem to say radio. And if you listen to the radio, there's lots of talk back. So maybe something to do with discussions and the dispute resolution process. Incorrect. So far, we've had me, myself and I and you am I. Uh, so those are our two clues. Uh, they're somewhat cumulative in nature. That really takes us to clue number three, which I hope will be... Uh, more direct. I am me. I am me. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am me. I am me. So, Emma, uh, if you have recovered uh, from watching that particular clue, uh, would you like to have a guess at today's subject? Okay, I'll have another go. Um, I'm thinking maybe that person's got like a lot of bling. So, that means expensive. So, thinking like, agreements with the highest pay, like something to do with specialists? Yes. Sorry again, that is incorrect. Um, we are in fact uh, talking about, well, we talked about me, myself and I, you am I, and then I, I am me, uh, which really br brings us to today's discussion, which is about independent medical examinations and a particular case study involving a request for an IME. I was so close. Not. Not really. No, a lot <laughs> Um, so uh, today we're talking about a decision of the Fair Work Commission in an unfair dismissal case, is that right? That's correct, and it's important to point out the context of, of it being an unfair dismissal case. So it's an employee who's on long-term sick leave and the employer wanting information on the employee's capacity for work through an independent medical examination or IME. So what does an employer need to actually consider when someone's on long-term sick leave? A range of things. So an employer may be wanting to establish whether an employee is likely to be able to return and fulfil the inherent requirements of the role, or whether there are adjustments that would support a safe return. Uh, that is, ensuring that the employer meets its obligation to provide a safe work environment. So does an employee actually have to um, prove that they can come back to work after a uh, long-term absence? Generally, uh, no. Uh, there are requirements to provide evidence to support your absence rather than support your return. There are different considerations in a work cover setting, but uh, in terms of absence due to illness or injury, generally not. So you said but? But uh, the employer does have that duty to provide a safe workplace, and there will be circumstances where an employer 
We want information to ensure that it meets those obligations. But it's not as straightforward as saying that because the absence is for X period that some evidence of fitness for work must be furnished. It's really more about the circumstances. So what circumstances are you talking about? So if, for example, an employee was away for a long period and seeks to return uh, exactly as the paid personal leave runs out, an employer might be concerned that economic considerations uh, could have won out over the health considerations. So do agreements um, actually address this circumstance? So most of them do under a fitness for work clause. Mm -hmm. uh, the fitness for work clause applies where the employer forms a reasonable belief that an employee may be unfit to perform their duties. So does that cover when someone's returning to work or is already at work? It does. So the fitness for work terms are about where an employee says that they're fit to work mm -hmm. and the employer has a reasonable belief that they may not be fit for work and a process to resolve that concern through evidence. Uh, those clauses don't go to the issue of seeking evidence for those who are absent um, because of illness and not seeking to return. So were some of those issues, um, you know, covered in the case study? That they are. So the Fair Work Commission recently had a down decision in a case, and the reference is there on screen, Hudson and RMIT University. It's a case from this year. So why is it uh, relevant? So it's interesting for a couple of reasons. The case centres on attempts by an employer to determine whether an employee who was absent from work could fulfil the inherent requirements of the role through uh, an independent medical examination. So what were the facts? The applicant was employed as a full-time lecturer at RMIT for over 26 years. Uh, the applicant filed an unfair dismissal claim after her employment was terminated on the grounds that she could no longer perform the inherent, re inherent requirements of her role. So what led to the termination? Well, before we get to that, um, first of all, there's a, a term of an enterprise agreement to consider. Uh, the relevant agreement contained the term up here on screen that the relevant delegated authority may construe repeated failures or refusal by an employee to undergo an IME in accordance with this clause as prima facie evidence that such an IME would have found that the employee is unable to perform their duties and is unlikely to be able to resume them within the period set out in clauses 31.8 and 9 and may act accordingly, provided that such a refusal by an employee in these circumstances will not constitute misconduct nor lead to any greater penalty or loss of entitlements that would have resulted from an adverse medical report. So that's unreally presumption that someone can't do their role if they are either like repeated failures or a refusal to do um, an IME. Um, did RMIT make such a request? It's interesting, um, they did, but they didn't start there. Uh, the employee had been absent from work due to illness from about February 2019, and in May, the employee was asked to have her doctor fill in a medical questionnaire. So what happened with the requ that request? Yeah, the employee stated that she took the medical questionnaire to her practitioner, and, and according to the employee, the uh, doctor refused to complete it. Did the doctor um, say why they refused to complete it? It's not mentioned in the decision, but uh, what the decision does make clear is that the employee had very strong views regarding that questionnaire. Uh, so how so? Uh, she wrote to RMIT, stating in part uh, when referring to the questionnaire, uh, said that she was appalled by this so-called requirement, uh, that she was embarrassed to show RMI the RMIT questionnaire to her doctor, describing it as extraordinarily crass and unprofessional. Then what happened? 
The employee filed a complaint with the Vice-Chancellor regarding the form and content of the questionnaire and concerns that it was an unwarranted attempt to breach doctor and patient confidentiality. Was the complaint upheld? It wasn't, but it is worth emphasising that confidentiality is important. So these kinds of processes are about being informed and they're not opportunities to snoop. So the fact that this particular complaint wasn't upheld isn't to say that considerations uh, around confidentiality and health information aren't important. They are. It's just that the person reviewing the complaint didn't find that those concerns were substantiated. So a complaint was made and responded to, then what? So RMIT had scheduled an IME uh, whilst that complaint was on foot, um, but responded to the complaint the day before the IME was scheduled and the employee did not attend. Um, so was it rescheduled? There were a couple of uh, reschedulings, but critically there was one a little bit later on where the IME was scheduled and then at the request of the employee rescheduled. So did the employee actually attend? She did, but there was an issue. Uh, prior to the appointment, the employee advised her employer that she did not agree with the IME provider's consent form. Didn't agree? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. She took it upon herself to edit the consent form and in turn the employee was advised that the IME provider was unable to accept the consent form as edited by the employee. So she, she still attended the appointment? She attended the clinic, um, but because of the disagreement over the consent form, the IME wasn't conducted. So no, um, so there was no IME. What happened ne next? Uh, the employer wrote to the employee in November, setting out the history of the, the absence, the attempts to have the IME completed, and advised that the employer was considering terminating employment on medical grounds with six months' notice. Was the employee given an opportunity to respond? Yes, yeah, she was, uh, until 6 January to respond to the letter and provide a medical assessment from a medical practitioner of her choosing. Uh, so she was also given the option of a meeting. So the employer moved from doing an IME to going to an actual practitioner that the employee was happy with? So the employee, that uh, a medical assessment from a practitioner chosen by the employee. So, um, but, you know, notwithstanding that invitation and the shift in position, the employee didn't provide a medical report or respond to the offer to meet, uh, although the employee did respond in writing. Uh, but the commission described that response as not addressing the substantive issue raised about fitness for work or possible termination of employment. So was the um, employee terminated at that point? No, not quite. So later in January, the employer advised that an IME would be required if she wanted to return to work and the employer proposed to meet. So did they meet at all? They didn't. Um, the employer, the employee did respond, saying that she was sufficiently recovered to return, would attend an IME if it wasn't on unacceptable conditions, and that there were also some conditions associated with her return to work, such as an office uh, that would not be shared. So ultimately, the employment was uh, terminated? It was, on, on the grounds of ill health. Mm -hmm. So the employee makes an unfair dismissal claim. Um, how did the Commission actually see it? So the Commission, of course, considered the terms of Section 387 of the Fair Work Act. And just for reference, those are on screen. Uh, the criteria is for considering harshness, including whether there was a valid reason for the dismissal, whether the person was notified of that reason, whether the person was given an opportunity to respond, any unreasonable refusal by an employer to allow them to have a support person, if it relates to unsatisfactory performance, whether the person's been warned and the degree to which the size of the employer's uh, enterprise would be likely to impact on procedures, 
uh, degree to which the absence of dedicated human resource management would impact on the procedures followed and any other matters that the Fair Work Commission considers relevant. So did the Commission find uh, that there was a valid reason? It did. Uh, it had particular regard to the term of the enterprise agreement where an employee refuses to attend or repeatedly fails to attend an IME. So interestingly, what was at issue was whether the employee had repeatedly failed, especially having regard for the appointment where the employee did turn up, albeit with the altered consent form. So what the, were the Commission's observations about that? Yeah, with respect to the appointment that the employee turned up for with the modified consent form, the Commission found that it was in substance a failure to attend, or alternatively in both form and substance a failure to attend in a manner that the IME could proceed. So the Commission found that the employer was entitled to conclude that the employee couldn't perform the inherent requirements of the role, and this provided a valid reason to terminate. So on to um, the next point, was the employee actually told of the valid reason and given an opportunity to respond? They were, and the other considerations at 387, broadly speaking, weren't, weren't directly relevant. Mm -hmm. And uh, the outcome? So the Commission determined that the employee had not been unfairly dismissed. Was there anything to note about the conclusion that was made? The Commission noted that the employer sought no more than what was stipulated in the relevant enterprise agreement and observed that in the view of the Commission, the employee had stymied attempts by the employer to ensure uh, that she was fit to return to work after an extended absence due to illness. So that was quite critical? The Commission described the employer, on the other hand, as, as lenient and flexible and willing to accommodate alternatives. Mm -hmm. uh, so what lessons would you um, say members could, should take from that case? Firstly, I don't think it's confined to a circumstance where there's an express agreement term about IMEs and long-term absences. I think employers can have, for example, policies on these issues and act accordingly or alternatively just act reasonably. I think people can take reasonable steps to determine whether someone can perform the inherent requirements of the role or whether indeed the role can be modified to accommodate an employee. I also think that the willingness of the employer to be flexible is really important. The employer considered alternatives to their preferred course uh, by of obtaining an IME, really taking a, um, a no-stone-unturned approach. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like they tried really hard. Um, anything else? So looking back on this case, it's, it's clear that early on there was a disagreement over the requirement, and it's hard not to wonder whether a dispute at the Fair Work Commission might have been a useful means by which to resolve that contest. Um, but that said, it is a reminder for members that the use of clear documented process is something that supports difficult decisions, such as the decision to terminate employment. Thanks, Stuart, for taking uh, me and members through that case. It was insightful. Um, my pleasure, Emma, and I think there's no better way for us to end this particular podcast than, uh, than with more of the dulcet tones of the song, I Am Me. Thanks, Emma. Thanks.